May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, when I was at university, we, we used to go on these road trips, and um, a mate of mine, he had this little kind of two-door, it was this white two-door Toyota, and uh, we're down in Christchurch, we'd kind of hit the road and just drive, and then we would find uh, a little side road, uh, and we would turn off the main road, and we would turn onto these little side roads, you know, tight corners, and we'd kind of go zipping around, and sometimes... Those little tight roads, they would turn into gravel. Uh, and so the fun would continue. And you know that's how those gravel roads, they kind of deteriorate the further you go up them. And the, the, the bank of gravel in the middle kind of gets higher and higher compared with the ruts where the wheels go. And this little car would get to a point where you're kind of scraping along and you can feel the texture of the road through the floor of the car. And you're like, hmm. And then sometimes those little road, those gravel roads would give way uh, to four-wheel drive tracks, and you're like, yeah, we're out. And, and it's a bit like this when we come to the book of Daniel today, isn't it? Up till now, we've been cruising. We've been cruising through these amazing stories, stunning stories of Daniel and his pals in Babylon, stories of heroes and villains, of lions and fires and statues and kings uh, and parties, fingers riding on walls. But we've come to the end of the road. We're heading off the beaten track. And these beautiful stories that captivate uh, children's tales, well, they give way to the weird, to the bizarre, uh, to the perplexing world of Daniel chapter seven, chapters 7 through 12. Uh, and so it's worth checking that we've brought the right equipment as we come to this part of God's Word, not like this little kind of two-door car that had really got to the end of its capabilities. Uh, so this writing, this style of writing, this genre of Scripture is called apocalyptic. Uh, and just like we read the newspaper differently to we might read a book like 1984, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, we need to read Daniel 7 to 12 in a different way to how we read 1 to 6. Uh, apocalyptic writing. It's wild. We've just read it together. It is wild, right? Uh, it's confusing. But the word apocalyptic, the, the name that characterizes this type of literature, it means to reveal. It's characterized by these imaginative scenes, dreams. But it is God revealing something first to Daniel and then to us through Daniel. And as we go through Daniel 7, we get this helping hand. Because right here in this chapter of God's Word, we aren't just told about the wild dream, because then the chapter pivots and we get given an interpretation from the people that are standing there on the scene. So let's jump in. Let's jump in, because in this chapter and in this dream, the curtains are just kind of drawn back on all of history to help us make sense of reality to see the trouble at the hand of kingdoms, kings, and the king of kings. You see, this dream, it invites us into the vibrant, into the wild, scary, and bizarre, and confusing world of apocalyptic literature, and we see this beast. The first beast, it's like a lion. It's powerful. It's ominous, regal even. 
but with wings, wings that are soon torn off, and then he's standing up on his feet. And the first beast then gives way to a second beast. This one's like a bear, but raised up. And maybe it's been barbecue night at the bear house because he's snacking on some low and slow ribs. But the command he's given, it's chilling. Did you notice it? Get up and eat your fill. Chilling. But no time to dwell because as we take in this scene before us, as we're kind of brought into Daniel's dream, there's another beast. This one's like a leopard. Uh, On its back, it has four wings like those of a bird, and it has four heads. This beast, it's given authority to rule. And then there's the fourth beast. It is terrifying, frightening, powerful, large iron teeth, crushing, devouring its victims, trampling underfoot whatever is left. This one is like, well, It actually isn't like anything we've ever seen. All the other beasts were like something that we could at least begin to understand, like a lion, verse 4, like a bear, verse 5, like a leopard, verse 6. Well, sort of understanding is the wings and the multiple heads and whatever is going on with the ribs. But the fourth beast, it's not like, it is unlike, it is different. You see that in verse 7. And then there's the horns symbolic maybe of power and rule, 10 of them, and then another one, a a disruptive one, clawing its way to power. And as we join with Daniel and we're kind of thinking about these horns, well, we can't, because the dream just shifts gear and it keeps rolling. Our attention has shifted from these terrifying beasts to a royal courtroom to trouble at the hand of king, at the king of kings. Come with me to verse nine, let's read it together. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. You see, thrones are set in place and the Ancient of Days takes his seat. What did King Nebuchadnezzar call him back in chapter 2? Daniel 2.47, it's on the screen. Truly, your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. This is the king of kings. His clothing is white as snow, his hair white like wool. These are images of purity, of holiness. His throne, it's a throne of awe-striking power, isn't it? A throne of fire with great burning wheels. Around around the Ancient of Days, there is this multitude, thousands and thousands serving him. There is no equal. This is the God of the universe, the King of Kings. And in his royal court, his royal court is sitting down to judge. 
And as Daniel takes stock of this courtroom scene, as we watch along with him, this little horn that we saw earlier, it's speaking, it's boasting. The beasts, their power is stripped away. They're killed. But our eyes are lifted upwards. They're lifted upwards. There's There's a human figure, and he is coming with the clouds of heaven. Come with me to verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Uh, This one, like a son of man, did you see he's given authority and glory and power? He's worthy of glory and power and worship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. I, I mean, wow. Like, just Wow. As we keep walking through Daniel, we get to listen into not, not just the dream that we've just kind of explored and, been, and come into and watched along with Daniel, but also on the interpretation. You see, as that, those curtains are drawn back on all of history, and this interpretation, it will help us to understand reality, and it will provide hope in the face of trouble. You see, it's an interpretation that runs through the dream. As it runs through, sorry, the passage, as it runs through this passage, it kind of loops over the dream. And as it does that, it focuses our attention. So verses 1 to 14, that's the dream that we've just been invited into. There are beasts and the horns and the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Then in verses 15 to 22, we run through, the passage runs through the dream again. You see, as Daniel asks for an interpretation, but as he asks for that interpretation, he picks which bits he wants explained and what he wants us to know about. Then verses 23 to 28, we run through it a third time. And as that happens, we listen in on the interpretation and our attention is focused still further on what really matters. It's like we're sitting in a classroom, right? The teacher says, any questions? And we're like, yep, yep, pick me, pick me. I want to know about the beast and the horns and the leopard and the lion and the horns and like everything. Tell me everything. And you're at the back row with your hand up in the air, getting all excited. But the, pe- the teacher, the teacher picks Danny. Danny's the kid sitting in the front row. And he picks Danny because Danny's always got the insightful questions. And Danny asks, can you tell us about the fourth beast? Maybe the horns? That's a good question, Danny. That's exactly the right question to ask. You see, in the meaning of the dream, as the curtains are drawn back on all of history so that we can make sense of reality, it's a simple message, really. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. The beasts, they are kings in their kingdoms. Now, Some people work really hard to map these beasts to specific kingdoms, and there may be benefit in that. 
But it's interesting that that doesn't seem to be Daniel's main concern in this dream, does it? As he focuses our attention on the big picture. This is a picture of kings and kingdoms rising and falling, coming and going. And as they do, they set themselves up against the Ancient of Days, against God. As they set themselves up against God, they set themselves up against God's people and they trample and oppress. That's the big picture. But in this dog-eat-dog world, these kings are not the ones that are in control. You see, the Ancient of Days, God Most High, he will gather his royal court He will sit on his throne of power and judgment. He will pronounce judgment over evil. And he will rule in favor of who? Of his people. He will have victory over evil. This kind of ongoing world of trouble at the hand of kings and kingdoms, of leaders. This is the story of all of history. The past, present, future. It goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It's the story of Daniel's day in exile in Babylon. It's the story for our day. And as we've watched with Daniel and the curtains being drawn back on history, did you notice Daniel's response? He says he sees kings and kingdoms that rise and fall as he sees judgment on evil, as he sees victory for all of God's people. He's troubled. He's troubled about a nation without hope. Come down to verse 28 with me. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. You see this vision? This vision of the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne, his, his, his throne of power, of the Son of Man, of power and authority being handed over to the Son of Man. We see that vision, don't we? And we go, we see that dream, we go, yes! Like, victory, bring on the party and the glory, don't we? But not Daniel. He's deeply troubled. But why is he so troubled? This is Daniel. He's respected in Babylon and across Persia. He's become the favorite kind of wise person to ask, to interpret dreams and to guide the nation, to rule. He has no equals. He's lived his whole life, his entire life. He's lived in worship of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Have you noticed that over the last few chapters as we've seen this outstanding character of Daniel... But did you also notice that Daniel's, he's all by himself as he's thrown to the lions because he won't, he won't pray to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all by themselves as they're thrown in the fire because they won't serve the Babylonian gods. Where are the rest of God's people in this? You know, are they just kind of going along with the flow? Don't cause too much trouble, especially not here while we're in Babylon. So Daniel's deeply troubled. I don't think it's because of the kings that will rise and fall 
the kingdoms that will set themselves against God and his people. He's deeply troubled because his own people, God's people, the nation of Israel, they may just find themselves on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of judgment, of victory. If that is why Daniel is troubled, then his people are heading for the wrong place. But what about our trouble? What about our trouble? As we join Daniel and as we see his dream, as we consider his questions, well, I think it raises questions for us, doesn't it? The first is, will we hear Daniel's trouble? Will we make sure that we are on the right side of history, on the right side of judgment and victory? You see, as history, it barrels on towards that day when the ancient of days, when God himself will sit on his throne and judge. Will I be found amongst his people? Or will I be found amongst the kings and kingdoms that have risen against God and against his people? And and it all comes down to one thing, doesn't it? Do I worship the Son of Man? Come with me back to verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man. He's given authority and glory and power that people from every language and nation and tribe, they worship him. And all across the Gospels, Jesus takes up for himself this title as the Son of Man. 78 times across the four Gospels, across the accounts of Jesus' life, he says, I am the Son of Man, and I am here. I'm the King whose kingdom will never end. I am the one who has dominion that will never pass away. Do you want in? In Mark chapter 14, at Jesus' trial, on the screen again the high priest asked him are you the Messiah the son of the blessed one verse 62 I am said Jesus and you will see the son of man that figure from Daniel sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven And so to hear Daniel's trouble, well, it's to join with people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue gathered around the throne of the Ancient of Days, gathering around the throne of Jesus, worshipping him. Because the danger is, the danger is if you don't, you might find yourself on the wrong side of history and the wrong side of judgment. 
It's grisly news, isn't it? But that's why Daniel is so troubled. And it doesn't matter if you grew up going to church or if today is your first time. It doesn't matter if your family are Christians. It doesn't matter if you're baptized or went to a Christian school. What matters is that you worship Jesus and that you worship only Jesus, that you live your life with Jesus right at the center. But what is on offer? What is on offer by worshiping Jesus? It's a place in his eternal kingdom, sharing in his unending dominion. It's a place so good, right, that as the Bible tries to paint a picture of it, it struggles with the limitations of language. It is that good. But equally what is on offer is what is avoided. That's the face that we've been the fate that we've been reminded on in Daniel. The fate that awaits all who set themselves up against the King of Kings, the Ancient of Days. So why not jump in and worship Jesus right now? That's Daniel's trouble. Will we hear it? Secondly, will we share Daniel's trouble? That is, Daniel sees this vision, right? He he sees the curtain of the whole of history pulled wide open. The reality of kings of kingdoms in this dog-eat-dog world, the problem of evil and judgment to come. And he looks around and he sees it's not good for people everywhere. And so he's troubled. He's deeply troubled. See, two weeks ago, we gathered, didn't we? And we gave thanks for what God's done in and amongst and through us over the history of City on a Hill, the seven years since we started. And it was wonderful. And as we did that, we also prayerfully looked to the future. We thought about the city that we live in, that God has put us in, where I think it was 40% of people do not know a single Christian. But hundreds and thousands of people in our city and across Aotearoa, they are on the wrong side of history. Part of a kingdom that, well, verse 26, the court will sit and its power will be taken away and it will be completely destroyed forever. You see, Daniel invites us to share his trouble, his deep trouble for so many whose power will be taken away and will be completely destroyed forever. Daniel invites us to be troubled people, to be troubled about our workmates, about our neighbors, about the city that we are in, and to stop at nothing to point them to the eternal kingdom of Jesus, the eternal kingdom of the Son of Man. You know, we're barreling towards Christmas carols, and What better time than to invite someone to come along and check out who Jesus is? You know, we've got three weeks to go, and in three weeks we'll come and we'll talk and we'll think and we'll sing about God becoming man, about Jesus, about the little baby who is the Son of Man. So who can you invite? We just got these this morning. Who could you give that to this week? Who could you message this afternoon even? 
let's just not go about sharing Daniel's hope for one day or one week or in this season up until Christmas. What Daniel's inviting us to be is a troubled people. Because often, you know, the problem I think of, I'm like, there's always next time, right? I can invite someone next time. But Daniel's showing us the Ancient of Days is coming to take his seat. That judgment is coming. And what that means about me, I don't know, maybe you're the same as me. It means I'm not troubled enough about what is actually going on in this world. What would it look like for us to be troubled people? Troubled about people around us that are perishing, who don't yet share in the dominion, the kingdom of Jesus, and the life and hope that only come from Him. Will you share in Daniel's trouble? Finally, will we hope with the Son of Man? Now, all this <laughs> grisly talk of trouble, uh, <laughs> with all that talk, it's hard, it's, uh, it's, it's, the danger that we run into is that we miss this message of hope. Because predominantly, alongside this stark and grisly warning, there is a wonderful message of hope in this chapter, isn't there? And it's a hope which must have felt so far off for Daniel as he lies down in the heart of Babylon, seeing the Ancient of Days as he gives authority and power and glory to the Son of Man. It must have felt so far off seeing every tribe and language and people and nation right there worshipping the Son of Man, worshipping Jesus. But years later, Years later, the Apostle John lies down in a prison on an island, on the island of Patmos, and he dreams. And just like in Daniel 7, the curtain on the whole of history is drawn back and thrown open, except this time, the Son of Man is no mystery. He's Jesus Christ, born in Nazareth, died on a cruel wooden cross, risen from the grave three days later, This is what John sees happening in heaven. Revelation 5, verse 9, it's on the screen. And they, that's the crowd in heaven, they sang a new song saying, you, that is Jesus, the son of man that we've seen in Daniel, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You see, what Daniel was looking forward to, the Apostle John is reflecting on. And what we look back on, the events of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his death and in his resurrection, that's our hope. That's the hope that will carry us through. But will you depend on that hope? You know, whatever comes your way, whatever kingdoms and leaders and people who have power as they rise and fall and as they set themselves up against the King of kings and Lord of lords, against Jesus and against his people, will you find hope? Will you cling to that hope? Hope that can only be found in the Son of Man. Cling to that hope, won't you?
Shall we pray? Father, we're so thankful for what you've done today as you have pulled back the curtain on all of history and revealed through this dream the reality of this doggy dog world we live in as kings and kingdoms, as rulers and authorities, nations and peoples rise and fall and set themselves against you and your people. Father, would you give us comfort and hope knowing that you have given power and glory and authority to Jesus, the Son of Man, and to all who worship him. Father, would you make us a troubled people, troubled for ourselves, so that we'll always follow and worship Jesus. Troubled for others who are on the wrong side of history, judgment, and victory. Through it all, Lord, would you give us a hope that can only be found in trusting and worshiping Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.